Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask if you would to turn to Psalm 67. It's our text for today. We've got three more Sundays in this series, uh, Worldview and Worship, um, Intersection of Church and Culture. And today's text comes from a, a passage of Scripture that struck me during my morning devotions. It talks about gladness and joy and, and praise and the adoration of the spread of the good news of God through His people. We'll read that text in just a moment. But we do have much to rejoice in. We have much to be thankful for as God's people. Uh, I know that when our boys were born, our family rejoiced. And I, I hear that that only pales in comparison to what it's like to have a grandchild be born into the world. Nevertheless, we know what it's like to rejoice. And as I look out across our congregation and I think about our prayer list and I think about those in and around our church family, there are a lot of reasons that we have to be sad. There are a lot of reasons that we have to be struggling there are things that we're going through, you and I are going through, that make life difficult. But let me pause and just say this. Even in the midst of the circumstances that we're facing, our God is gloriously, wondrously, matchlessly good. And he is worthy of our praise and our adoration and our worship. And two services later, we're going to baptize 12 people. And that's not all we've got to baptize. We've got some other children that we're still praying for, that they'd have the courage to be in front of everybody and be baptized. That is exciting. There are some churches that don't baptize one in a year, much less 12 in a Sunday. We ought to be grateful for that. We ought to rejoice in that and rejoice for many, many other reasons. Psalm 67 gives us a few. Let's see this psalm. And, um, and hear how we ought to rejoice and spread the good news of our Lord and Savior. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Beautiful psalm. A reminder of God's goodness and God's greatness. The primary reason I chose this psalm is because it fits in this uh, intersection of church and culture, recognizing that one of the primary, if not the primary way, that we interact with the world around us is to worship God, and by worshiping God, spread the good news of His Son, Jesus, to the nations. We might learn to think rightly about political issues. We might learn to inter interact rightly in our own Christian walk and Christian life, and we ought to do those things. But if we, as the body of Christ, the people of God, do not reflect God in worship as we ought to and share Him in message as we've been commanded to, then we've kind of missed the whole point for being left here. God did not redeem us and automatically translate us to heaven. God redeemed us and left us on earth. What for? 
to bring worship to his name, glory to his name, and in so doing to spread the glory of his name and the goodness of his saving work to our neighbors and to the nations. This psalm reflects that very truth. This psalm is put together in a chiastic framework. A chiasm is simply an organized uh, picture or an organized poem where verses 1 and verse 7, they coincide. You could call them A. In other words, they say something very similar. Verse 1, make his face shine upon us and bless us. And then you look down in verse 7, God shall bless us, let the ends of the earth fear him. So they work together. Verses 2 and verse 6 go together, that your way may be known on the earth and your saving power among the nations. The earth, same word there, has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. So those two verses, 1 and 7 and 2 and 6, go together. And of course, 3 and 5, uh, excuse me, 3 and 5 are obvious that it goes together. They're the same verse, just repeated. It's, let the, nation, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. In other words, they're moving to the center. So you've got A and A in verses 1 and 7, B and B in verses 2 and 6, C and C in verses 3 and 5. And then in a chiastic framework, the, 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 the glory or the, kind of the, the, the end of the, of the psalm doesn't finish at 7. The, the focus of the psalm is the centerpiece of the chiasm, which is verse 4. Listen to verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. In other words, the point of the psalm is to draw our attention and God's work in our lives to verse 4. That the nations may be glad, that the peoples may know there is a God who is full of judgment and justice and righteousness, that there is a God who guides the nations upon the earth. It is a beautiful, glorious text of Scripture. From this passage of Scripture, there are several applications that we're going to get to at the end of our sermon. But let me offer two discoveries that I have uh, noticed as in researching and studying this text of Scripture. Discovery number one, we discover the purpose of God's blessings to his people. And the purpose of God's blessings to his people is the salvation of the nations. Verse one, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. How many of you have prayed for the blessings of God in your lives? And, and we're not the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel people who think that the, the, the extent of our relationship with God is that God would make us healthy, wealthy, and blessed, and all of those things. But we do believe as followers of Jesus that God blesses his people. He does bless his people. And so this prayer is an echo of the prayer, of the prayer of blessing that was given in Numbers chapter 6, where Moses blessed the priests, make his face shine upon, upon me, is the way it prayed in, in Numbers chapter 6. The, the difference here is that the psalmist prays a community blessing. May God make his face shine upon us, not just me individually, but upon us collectively as a community, as a body of believers. May God bless us. And it is right, by the way, for us to pray for God's blessings. We want and need God's blessings. In fact, sitting in the room are many of God's blessings. We have experienced much of God's greatness and blessings in our lives as Christ followers. But God does not bless us for our own sake. I want you to catch this. 
In the, in the Old Testament, God blessed the people of Israel, but the people of Israel were always supposed to be a, a group of people that pointed to the glory of God. They were supposed to point to God's graciousness and His mercy. They were supposed to be the people that reflected the saving work of God in the world. And so when they prayed for God's blessings, they were praying ultimately not just that they would experience financial blessing or health blessings, but that they would be able to spread those blessings. Look at verse 2. Make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Folks, the reason God blesses his people is not for us to live in comfort and luxury. The reason God blesses his people is for his people to spread his glory and fame and his saving work among the nations. He wants us to be a part of his spreading work of glory. That is primarily his means of, uh, of spreading the good news of his son is through his people and through the blessings he shares upon his people. One of the reasons I love this psalm is because we are both the recipients of this psalm and the reality of this psalm. Recipients, this was a prayer prayed by the people of Israel several thousand years ago. May God make his face shine upon us and bless us that the nations may know that God is king and that there is a savior among the peoples of the world. Do you want to know good news? God did exactly that. Sure, he judged his people, but he always kept a remnant, and he brought them back from the lands of exile. And through his people, he brought his own son, Jesus Christ, to be a savior, not just for his people, but for the nations. Folks, we are present in this psalm today. We are the nations. We are the recipients of this truth. We are the nations that can express the glory and grandeur of God because 2,000 years ago, Countries and oceans removed from the events of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we sit in little old Wilkesboro, North Carolina, the recipients of God's blessings upon his people, spreading the good news of his son Jesus through his people to folks like you and me, who by heritage and lineage are not the people of God in terms of the people of Israel, but we are the recipients of God's blessings. We're not just the recipients, we're the reality though. See, we are the people of God today. Not necessarily in the same way the people of Israel are, but we have been made God's people. Uh, the prophets in the Old Testament put it this way, those who were not a people will become a people. Peter says that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that we have now become the very people of God that God wanted the people of Israel to be. And, and here's the reality. Here's what that means for you and I today. God doesn't just want to bless us for our sake. God wants to bless us for the way that you and I can bless the nations of the world by spreading the good news of his son, Jesus. And in a little devotional book that John Stott wrote on some of his favorite psalms, he puts it this way. He said, the first reason why we desire that God shall bless us in order that through, his, through us his salvation may be known to humankind. In that case, Israel's motive in seeking God's blessing was not selfish after all. They prayed that God would bless them not in order to wallow comfortably in his blessings themselves, but in order that it might pass from them to others. Folks, if we have blessings for our own luxury's sake and our comfort's sake, and that's where it stops, that makes blessings very man-centered, us-centered. But it's not about us. 
It's not about our glory. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our experience. It's about the glories and the wonder and the majesty of the God who reigns. We don't exist for us. We exist for the glory of Jesus. The blessings of God are God-centered because they're about showing the greatness and the goodness and the glory and the wonder of God to everyone who needs to hear it. So we are asking that God would make his face to shine upon us and bless us for his glory. One of the reasons we do that is because, folks, we're not the sun. What do I mean by that? Well, the sun shines in and of itself, right? The sun does not need any help in shining. Do you realize that the moon is just a rock? If you look out at the moon tonight, the sky's clear enough. I have no idea where we are in the, in, in the, in the moon phases. No clue. Don't know if it's full moon, near full moon. I, I didn't pay attention recently. But if you look at the moon, the moon has no light in itself. Where does the moon get its light from? It gets it from the sun. The reason the moon shines is because the sun shines upon it. Folks, that's us. We don't have light in and of ourselves. We do not carry with us the glory of God in and of ourselves. What we are is reflectors. We're reflectors. We are intended to be recipients of God's blessings so that then we can shine God's blessings to others. It's a beautiful picture. A second discovery is this. We discover the purpose of God's saving work among the nations. What's his purpose? Why does he save the peoples? Why did he save us? Watch this. It is his glory revealed in the joy and worship of the nations. Do you realize God does not save people so that they can go to heaven? God saves people so that they can become his worshipers. The focus of verse 4, listen to this, let the nations be glad, the nations be glad, and sing for joy. Not, the, not his people, let the nations, let all the peoples of the world be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the world in equity, and that's a beautiful picture. It's a picture of God's sovereign control in the world. And yes, God is controlling, the or- he is orchestrating the events of our world. Sure, our world looks like it's gone to chaos. I promise it hasn't. It looked like it was going to chaos in the first century when, uh, when the Romans were coming down on the people of Israel and the people of Israel were jealous of Jesus, the Messiah, walking on planet Earth. It looked like the world was in chaos. But I can assure you, God was very much in control on those events around the very first Easter. He was in control when Jesus was, was tried. He was in control when Jesus was crucified. He was in control when Jesus was risen from the dead. And by the way, that is the glorious picture of justice and equity that's found in the text. It's not as if God's waiting on a throne in heaven to wipe out the sinfulness of man. Oh, he's going to do that. He's going to wipe out sinfulness. But the penultimate expression, or the ultimate rather, expression of his judgment is not in the great white throne that we're going to see in Revelation chapter, the Re- Revelation chapter 21. The great and glorious picture of his judgment happened already 2,000 years ago when he expressed judgment upon human sin or upon Jesus Christ for human sin, giving us the privilege to do what? Fulfill the very first part of verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? Because, folks, you who were destined to bust hell wide open are not going to hell anymore. You and I who were destined to die in our sin and unrighteousness, that's not where we're going anymore. Our sin has been paid for. We are forgiven and redeemed through the justice and equity of God through Jesus Christ. 
And that picture of God, the nations upon the earth, it's a picture of God's leadership. Leadership as a shepherd, same word there is used in Psalm 23. We're going to study that here in several weeks in the life of our church. It's a picture of God's glorious, kind guidance. Joy and gladness. Where does joy and gladness come from? Folks, it does not come from unbelief. Voltaire was a noted infidel. He put it this way. He said, at the end of his days, I wish I had never been born. No joy in Voltaire. Voltaire. It, it, it's not found in pleasure. Lord Byron lived a life of pleasure. Uh, and, and he wrote this, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. Uh, joy is not found in money. Jay Gould was an American millionaire. He had plenty of money, and he said this at the end of his life, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. Uh, joy is not found in position or fame. Lord Beaconsfield enjoyed more than his share of both. And he wrote this, Youth is a mistake. Manhood is a struggle. Old age is a regret. Maybe he was right about some of those things. Nevertheless, he had no joy, and position and power didn't give him joy. It's not found in military glory either. Alexander the Great conquered much of the known world, and afterward he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. Not long after that, he got sick and he died. Where is joy to be found? Folks, joy is to be found in Jesus and Jesus alone. The salvation that we have through Christ, the day-by-day relationship, which, by the way, is the blessing of God. I can't think of any better way that God would make his face shine upon us than this. Than that that day when you trusted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, God gave you his Holy Spirit to indwell you and walk with you every single moment of your life. That every single moment of your life, you can be in a conversational prayer relationship with God. Because the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. I cannot think of a greater blessing for our Christian experience than that. And guess what God has done? He's given us access to himself in a way that regardless of the circumstances we're facing, we can be joyful and we can be glad. The great composer Haydn was asked one time, Why is your music so joyful? His reply was this, When I think upon my God... My heart is so full of joy that the notes dance and leap, as it were, from my pen. And since God has given me a cheerful heart, it will be part in me that I serve him with a cheerful spirit. Folks, of all people, the people who have been redeemed by Christ ought to be the ones who are glad and full of joy and full of song and full of praise and full of majesty. That's what the kingdom of God's all about, by the way. Paul put it this way in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, of peace, and of joy in the Holy Spirit. That is what the kingdom of God is about. That's what it means for us to be people of God. It is to be people who are joyful. It is to be people who are glad. It is to be people who worship him. Why is that? John Stott put it this way. He said, we as God's people must not be content until every convert becomes a worshiper. John Piper said it this way. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. 
Why is it that worship is the primary focus of the church? Because God is the most glorious being that ever has been and ever will be. And it is absolutely, totally, gloriously right when we worship him. A Christian who is not worshiping God is not a Christian who is following God. A Christian who is not glad and rejoicing in God is a Christian who is missing out on the very reality of what God created him or her for. A Christian who doesn't worship God in this life is not preparing himself or herself for what they're going to do for the rest of their experience in eternity. We are going to be existing in praise and worship of God forever and forever. And the reason we ought to be expressions of the glory and the gladness of God is because God wants your neighbors and he wants the nations to come to know him. It's not like God is some supreme egotist. He needs our praise. God's just fine whether we praise him or not. God's not going to be any different whether you sing praises today or whether you sing praises next Sunday or whether you never sing praises. Why do we sing praises and why are we glad and why are we full of joy? We're better off when we're that way. Let me just say it that way. Nobody likes a grump. Nobody likes a Grinch. That's not who we're to be. We're to be people who are full of joy. And do you know where joy comes from? It comes from us reflecting on the saving blessings of God in our lives. And it should turn out in our lives a joyful heart. By the way, that is one of the most attractive things Christians can do for the people around us in our world. Sure, I'm telling you, our world looks like it's chaotic. And it is. And the divisions and the frustrations and the angers and the arguments we could have. I mean, you you just spend any time around anybody who's of a different persuasion than you, philosophically or politically, and it can devolve into an argument in a hurry. You know who Christians ought to be? It's not that those things don't matter, but Christians ought to be people who are so permeated by the joy of Jesus that those lesser arguments truly take their lesser place. And the focus is on Jesus. Let the nations be glad. Sing for joy. Let me give you some applications. What can we do with a passage of Scripture like this? Here's the first one, and probably the most important one. Praise with joy and gladness. Folks, there is hardly anything better that we can do than praise God with joy and with gladness. Put a smile on our face and sing to our God. Let's praise. Folks, we are the nations. We are the recipients of God's saving work through Jesus Christ. We are the reality of God's people today. And if we don't sing praise to him, creation may praise him, the rocks may praise him, but people around us won't see that there is a God who is real and a God who is worthy of, their, uh, of experiencing his salvation. Praise with joy and gladness. One of the greatest things we can do. You can do that every single week. You can do that in your car. As you're driving down the road listening to worship music, you can do that in the shower. God bless us all. I, if I sing in the shower, I, don't, I do so when no one's in my house. All right? I was, I was talking to somebody the other day. They were talking about, about just being in the car, and they started singing. They started praising God, listening to Christian worship music. And this person doesn't sing very well, but he just started singing and praising. One of the reasons we gather... Watch this. One of the reasons we gather every single week to worship is because I know your week has been hard and you know mine has been hard. But when we gather and we praise God, something changes in our demeanor. What? 
We're focused on Him and His greatness and His majesty and His glory and His praise and His worth. And sometimes just the gathered songs of the believers can turn a frown into a smile. So we're to be people who praise with joy and gladness. We're to pray for the nations. Let me give you a second application. We're to pray. Every single month, we pray for an unreached people group. We pray for mission partners regularly. I prayed this morning for Brett Whittington, uh, an international mission board mi- missionary who is connected to our church, and we're going to be praying for him. Or the IMB made a connection with him in our church, so he's our missionary to pray for. Why do we pray for the nations? Because God wants his glory to be spread to the nations. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, our love must make long marches and our prayers must have a wide sweep. We must embrace the whole world in our intercessions. Why? God bless us and make your face shine upon us. That your way may be known on the earth. That your saving power may be known among all nations. Folks, the reason you and I ought to pray that God's kingdom would come, God's will would be done, not just in our situations, not just in our lives, not just in our neighborhoods, not just in our corner of the earth, but to the nations and to the other peoples of the earth is because our God is not a regional deity. Our God doesn't just exist in the Bible Belt South. He doesn't just exist in Israel. He is a God of all peoples and of all nations everywhere. And you and I in our prayers ought to pray to a God big enough to redeem peoples all over the world. There's not a better way for us to grab a heart for the missional work of God than to pray for the nations across the world. Here's a third application. Serve a local mission partner. We have some great Sunday school classes that are partnering with local mission organizations. I can't even begin to start telling you the list of Sunday school classes that are partnered with different mission organizations for different reasons. Why? Because we believe in blessing those who are around us and serving alongside them and sharing the good news of Jesus. Uh, Recently, this past week, we had a, a group of ladies from our Women on Mission. They went to Wilkes Central High School, not an official mission partner, but went to Wilkes Central High School to help them with kind of a back-to-school rally. Cooked hot dogs. We didn't set the fire alarm off, but the fire alarm went off while we were there hosting that event. Dr. Heather Freeman, who's a church member and also the principal there, she put it this way. She said, I'm so proud of our church for all the people that came to help tonight. It was so wonderful And all the staff were saying it was the most people that ever had to attend an event like that. We get a chance to serve a local mission partner. One way you can do that, today, the day of prayer at the middle school, uh, at 1230 at Central Wilkes Middle School, uh, Keith and some others are going to be praying for the students and the teachers. As as we close out our sermon, we're going to be praying for the schools that, that are coming back into session. One way you can serve locally is by praying for those around us who need to hear Jesus serve a local mission partner. We've got some folks in our church who've supported and kind of helped uh, a local Afghanistan family. Uh, They were refugees, spent 22 months in another country trying to get from Afghanistan to a place of safety and security. They're living in our mission house right now, uh, being helped by people in our church. We're praying for them. We're trying to support them so that they'll know Jesus. You and I may not be able to go to Afghanistan and tell the nations about Jesus, but God sees fit sometimes to bring the nations to Wilkesboro, North Carolina, so that we can tell the nations about Jesus. Here's another application. Go on a mission trip. Go on a mission trip. We've got four of our church members headed to Guatemala next month. 
uh, to work with Roger and Vicki Grossman in their ministry there in Guatemala, find a mission trip to go on, either through our church or through another church. We need to be people who go and who share. I'll give you another application. Give to missions. I love our church because one of the things that we value as important is giving 20% of our budget to missions, making sure that our mission partners and our mission organizations have, have, uh, have the ability to do their work regularly. Uh, as we got to thinking about some ways to challenge our congregation, our elders uh, have come up with a plan for us to have a special missions offering for Wilkesboro Baptist Church on Sunday, October the 1st. Everything taken up on that Sunday will be given to missions. 100% of the offerings will be given to missions. Say, so can we afford to, to give up a Sunday of giving to, uh, to give to missions? I, I think we can, and even if we couldn't, we still should, because it matters that we spread the good news of Jesus to the nations. That's where, that's where our blessings should go. It's a way for us to do exactly this text. God's blessed us. Let's spread that blessing and send it to the nations. This year, that first inaugural mission offering for our church will be named after our matriarch of missions, Miss Betty Pardue, and Carlos and, and Diana know that, and we're working on a plan to, to, to tell you where the, those mission dollars are going to go in memory of Miss Betty and her love for missions. You can give to missions. Another reason we ought to give to missions and think about missions is this. Folks, we live in a world that has more than 8 billion people on planet Earth. Inside those 8 billion people are 17,000 people groups. Different cultures, different languages, different places in the world, uh, different nationalities. Every Sunday we pray for one of those people groups, one of those unreached people groups. Listen to this. 7,391 of those 17,000 people groups are unreached. That means they have little to no access to the gospel. There's not, there's not a Bible radio station they can hear in their language. There's not a church that they could go to and hear the gospel. There's not a place that they could go to meet Jesus in their culture and in their language and in their location. That represents 42% of the world's population. Approximately 3.4 billion people are considered unreached. Psalm 67.4 let the nations be glad. That's all the nations. All the people groups of the world is who our blessings are to spread to. I realize you and I can't go to every unreached people group. Wilkesboro Baptist Church can't take on that kind of task. But God wants us to be a part of taking on that task. Praying for the nations, giving to the nations. One of the things I'm proud about being a Southern Baptist is the International Mission Board has started a new program this year, a pioneer program where they're sending out 300 missionaries to serve for two years. And their goal is to simply search out and investigate information about unreached people groups. That's their goal. They're going to find them. They're going to seek out where they are. They're going to seek out their languages so that they can report back to the IMB and other mission agencies the IMB is working with and find ways for us to do exactly what Psalm 67, 4 says. Take the good news of, the Jesus, of Jesus so that the nations can be glad in the saving work of the gospel. Here's the last application. Share the gospel. Tell the good news of Jesus. You know how the nations are glad? They're glad when we talk about Jesus. They're glad when, when they come to faith in Christ. 
You know where my greatest moment of joy came? The day I trusted Jesus to be my Savior. Many of you can say the same thing. Your greatest day of joy was the day that God took you uh, from the path of hell to the path of heaven. When God redeemed you and forgave you and washed your sin away. Share the good news of Jesus. Let me conclude with two stories. Two kind of pictures that should embed in our hearts and minds what we ought to do in being glad. The first is told by D.L. Moody. Many, many years ago, as a, as a traveling evangelist, he heard the story of a little boy who was converted. And that little boy was full of praise. He was joyous. He went to the meetings at the church. He sang and he praised God. But his dad was a professed Christian who didn't go down to the meetings, who didn't praise God, who didn't have a very joyful demeanor. And his son sat there next to his dad and he asked him this question. Dad, why don't you praise God? Why don't you sing about Christ? Why don't you go down to these meetings that are being held? Father looked at his son and said gruffly, I'm not carried away with any of those doctrines. I'm established. A few days later, uh, the father and son were getting out a load of wood. And they attached their horse to the wagon to try to pull that wood and, and get that wood where it needed to go. Father and the boy got on top of the load, and they tried to get the horse to go. They yelled at the horse. They hollered at the horse. They used a whip at the horse, and the horse would not move. They got out, and they tried to roll the wagon themselves, and the wagon wouldn't budge. Father asked, I wonder what's the matter. The son, without missing a beat, said, well, the horse is established. Folks, as followers of Jesus... We should be joyful. We should sing. We should praise. Because the nations are watching and listening as to whether the God we believe in has made a difference in your life and in my life. Give you a second image. Joy is to be our flag. It's to be our banner. There was a principal at, one point, at, at, a, at a school... And he went by the name, his name was Mr. Rainey. And there was a, a little girl that used to wonder if Mr. Rainey went to heaven every night. Because when he came to school every morning, he was joyful and he was happy. And he was so happy and joyful that he was known for his joyful demeanor. And he used this to describe joy. He said, joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in resonance there. You know where smiles come from? Where joy comes from? Singing and gladness and worship and spreading the good news of Jesus? It comes when Jesus is on his rightful place as King and Lord of our hearts. Folks, when that happens, we'll be glad. When that happens, God can use us to take the blessings he's given us so that the nations can be glad. Stand with me if you will. Our Lord, we come to you this day. We confess our grumpiness, our gruffness. We confess our lack of joy, our lack of worship. We confess that sometimes, Lord, we uh, ask for blessings for ourselves and not through ourselves to go to others. Forgive us that. We recognize, Lord, that the schools are starting back uh, this week. Teachers, faculty, administrators, parents, students, all involved in that process of heading back to school tomorrow. We pray that 
Lord Jesus, the good news of your son would spread through Christian teachers and Christian parents and Christian students to the nations that are present in the school system that they might know you and hear you and follow you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would exhibit and display your joy through us this day. Give glory to your name. We pray, God, that you would use us to spread your good news, good news of joy to our neighbors and the nations. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.